Hello, my name is Erica Shea and you are tuned into Slay where each week you and I turn our attention inward and reflect on ideas intended to help move you into a state of inspiration and empower you to take decisive, proactive action toward achieving your goals and reaching your highest potential. Today, we are talking about shadow work as it is one of the most powerful self-care practices that you can do to support your inner growth. If you are ready to understand yourself completely, to heal old hurts, increase your self-esteem, develop more compassion, and just experience greater peace and happiness, then this episode is for you. Let's get into it. Up to this point, much of what we've discussed would be considered light work. And by light work, I mean practices that feed positively associated aspects of our personalities and selves and help to expand what we consider to be desirable attributes. Very important work. However, when seeking wholeness and balance, it's only half the work. Literally, we can't know and appreciate light without the existence and awareness of darkness and vice versa. To deny one would be to deny both. So if our sincere desire is to feel whole and complete, then shadow work is where we restore and reclaim balance. But what is it exactly? Let's start there since without any familiarity with the term, it could be easy to assume it's some just dark, sinister practice, which is absolutely not the case. The shadow self is an archetype introduced to us by psychologist Carl Jung. It refers to the less desirable aspects of ourselves that we may not want to think about, we've repressed, or just even disowned. It is the opposite of our persona, which is what we would like to be and how we wish to be seen by the world. Every human being in the world that is past infancy has a shadow, with the idea being that we are all born whole, but somewhere in our development through shaping and conditioning, when ideas of good and bad start to be introduced to us, the shadow-making process begins and we start to divide ourselves. Essentially, we start sorting out characteristics between two categories, those that are acceptable to our society and culture, and those that we feel that we need to put away in order to feel accepted in our environment. It has nothing to do with characteristics being positive or negative, but whether the characteristic threatens our need for security or belonging, which is very specific to an individual since we are all raised in different environments with different personalities that are in positions of power. So for example, when I was a kid, I remember times my mom would tell us to do things and I'll use a very simple example, but maybe she'd tell us to get dressed and as a kid, you know, your favorite thing to ask is why? And not because you're trying to be argumentative, but because you genuinely want to, you want to know, right? Like, are we getting dressed to go see some of our favorite people? Are we going to go get some of our favorite food? Are we running a fun errand? You're just excited to go somewhere, right? And just, you want to know in your head, what's up? Rather than feed that curiosity, nine times out of 10, the response would be because I said, that's why. And it would kind of come out really hard, which didn't feel good to me because A, I genuinely just wanted to know, but also I really wanted to feel her love always. But with that response, I always felt just shut down and the tone would cause just an undesirable internal response for me, which was the opposite of what I wanted from her. So I learned to stop asking her questions. And that's just a simple, innocent example, right? But it's something that absolutely affected me and it influenced how I interacted with her later in life. Maybe you can think back to a few childhood memories of your own and 
realize that these moments, they're like seeds. And without even realizing it, we slowly start to repress parts of ourselves, which in my case, I repressed my desire to engage with her and, you know, just be curious. And it impacted our relationship because those desires and parts of ourselves, they never actually go away just because we refuse them. They collect and after long enough time, they take on a life of their own. And that is what is known as shadow life. So in short, our shadow refers to parts of ourselves, not just negative parts, but any part that we decided was an unwelcome part that has not sufficiently entered into our consciousness, but remains there nonetheless. Shadow work then is a process of healing and integrating all aspects of who we are as individuals in order to become whole again, bringing awareness to aspects that we've disowned and transforming any dark elements in our nature in a way that supports our emotional well-being. It is one of the most powerful things that you can do for your personal growth. But how do you even identify your shadow? I'm going to discuss three ways to help you do that along with an exercise for each. So grab a pen and paper if you would like to take notes. One way of spotting your shadow is through projection. As we have touched on time and time again, our outer world is a reflection of our inner world. In that light, people provide us with a mirror of what is going on within us, meaning we project our shadow aspects onto others. So for example, Say I see someone who I think is desperate and an attention seeker. I make that judgment. However, I know when I judge others, I define myself. So now I have to look within and I find that being desperate and seeking attention, those are among my shadow characteristics. It takes one to know one, right? Another way of spotting your shadow is through awareness of our triggers, which is when something or someone reminds us of a past pain or traumatic event. When this happens, it is beyond beneficial to listen to what the emotions are trying to indicate to us and take appropriate action as our emotions are the universe's way of informing us of whether or not we are aligned with our authentic self. And I feel like we've talked about this before. This one is not easy and you have to be willing to confront the emotional pain, which only you can know if you're ready for. If you are, ask yourself, How has this emotion affected you in the past? So for example, if you're bitter, how has the feeling affected you? Pause and think about that. Like literally give it some thought. How has it affected you in your relationships? How has it affected you in work? With that knowledge, ask yourself how that makes you feel. How has that feeling of bitterness affected your sense of self-worth? How does it feel to know that it has affected your self-worth in that way? How do you feel when you look at where you are in life, knowing that you continue to engage in this behavior? What's that make you feel like? From there, see yourself five years in the future. How will you feel living another five years in this way? The point is to demonstrate the power that emotions have on our lives when we can associate pain with not making necessary changes in our lives and pleasure with making desired changes, we can come to understand how we can use our emotions to steer us toward our goals and improve the quality of our lives. The last way we'll discuss is through patterns of thinking and behaving, which are essentially repeated attempts by our shadow to get our attention. If you see yourself as a good person, which most of us do, this could be a beneficial method for you. Make a list of all of your positive qualities. 
on the other side of that list, write an opposite quality. So for example, a positive quality of mine is empathy. If this exists, so too must the opposite quality, which is insensitivity. This would be my shadow. The point of doing this is to realize if you have the capacity for one, you have the capacity for the opposite. And so it helps to challenge your identity of being this good person who's only all of the light because you are so much more and it's important to be honest with ourselves about it. And from there, just realize that neither quality is intrinsically good or bad. They just are. And depending on our experiences, we project good or bad based on our own individual perception. So for example, while empathy may serve me when it comes to interpersonal skills, when it comes to business and making tough decisions, it can be beneficial to me to put my emotions to the side and tap into my insensitive shadow and not make things personal. By acknowledging traits in this way, we can understand that it's okay to be those parts of you at times. It is impossible to love and accept ourselves fully without embracing all aspects of ourselves. Shadow work is about restoring balance to our personality and creating equilibrium in our spirit and our soul. Our nature lives in polarity, masculinity and femininity, up and down. We cannot make light without making corresponding darkness. Honoring your shadow is such a sacred and personal practice. And it goes hand in hand with the self-reflection process. It is so important not to neglect it because what's in the dark always comes to light, right? So we can either work with it or work against it, but know that when we refuse to acknowledge this aspect of ourselves and knowingly or unknowingly work against it, darkness just accumulates. And at a certain point, light becomes a destructive reflection of what is going on in the shadow of your mind. If you desire to become the best version of yourself, experience greater self-love and self-acceptance, inner peace and happiness, figure out how you can integrate your shadow and make it a part of your daily routine in some way. Remember, what you resist persists. We cannot change anything unless we accept it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it in your IG story and tag me at Erica Shea. If you are not on social, you are welcome to write me via email instead at slate at ericashea.com. I would love to know that you found valuable and maybe what resonated with you. I appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, continue to show up for yourself in a major way.